Good morning. Oh. Last week we started a brand new series called Living Worthy, uh, and it comes out of Colossians. This is basically the concept. Uh, Holy Spirit inspired Paul to teach us. He said, the, the second you begin to get saved, he said, I started to pray for you. He said, I started to pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through the wisdom and the understanding that the Holy Spirit gives so that you will live a life worthy of him, worthy of Jesus Christ, and that you will please him in every way. And he goes on to give a little bit of an explanation of what that worthy and pleasing life looks like. And it's just a life that does everything you do for the glory of God, that you please him in all your ways, that you bear fruit, that you don't just do good works or just random works, but you're effective for the kingdom of God, that you're strong, you're powerful, you're knowledgeable in the ways of God, you have endurance and stamina and strength to make it through, that you step into uh, that, that power, Holy Spirit-filled, powerful man and woman of God. And it's just a powerful thing. He says, but you have to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, uh, God's perspective on everything, uh, God's perspective on marriage, finances, all the, from the big things all the way down to the little things. God has a perspective. God has an order. God has a righteousness. God has a way. And he says, the Holy Spirit over time, Jesus said, when he comes, he will come and he'll teach you all things. He will give you the wisdom. He'll give you the understanding. He'll give you the insight. He'll give you the knowledge of God's perspective, of God's ways. And over time, we'll be filled with that. And so every time we're presented uh, with those baseline concepts, with God's perspective, we have to do one of two things. In pride, rise up and say, I know better than God, more than God. I can operate in this way or humble ourselves before God. And allow our perspective to be replaced by God's perspective through that wisdom and that understanding that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And so as we go throughout this series, that is our goal. That's our heart's prayer, that we will allow the Holy Spirit to destroy the strongholds in our minds and replace our perspective with the perspective of God so that we can live a worthy and a pleasing life and walk and grow into a strong and powerful man and woman of God. That's, that's our prayer. That's what I'm praying every day, and I hope that's what you're praying. But today, I want to open up with this, this concept. Now, I want to just read the scripture, and I want to teach you something, because the first part of the scripture that we're going to read is something that, that we know a lot about, that is talked about a lot, that, that is pretty well understood, at least the basic uh, part of it. But the second part of the scripture is something that we don't really understand, something that we don't really talk about a lot, uh, something that gets ignored a lot of times, and, and it's very powerful, especially throughout the series. And so I just want to talk about it. just for a second. It's James chapter 1, starting with verse 14, and, and what James is teaching, he's talking about sin. He's talking about how sin takes place and what sin does. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. All right, so I want, I want to open this up to you really fast. So there, there's kind of this concept in Christianity that temptation somehow creates a desire inside of you. That's just simply not true. Temptation entices you because you already want to do the thing that you're tempted to do to begin with. I explain it like this. So like when I go on a diet, there are certain things that, that people are tempted to eat that they struggle with. For most people, it's sweets. Like they just want to eat candy and sugar and gummy bears and cupcakes and all the stuff that Aubrey likes to eat every day. All right, but that's never been a big temptation for me. I, I, I don't really enjoy sweets necessarily. I, that's not a temptation for me. You put a big cake in front of me, I'm probably not going to eat it anyway. 
But if you put some Mexican cheese dip and some chips in front of me, I will eat you out of house and home. I can't stop. Like, it's a crazy thing. I'm telling you, you could put, I could walk into a candy shop and not, and totally not be, everybody, all my friend group, they love Killens. I go into Killens, there's one little ice cream I kind of like, but I'm never like, oh my God, I got to have this chocolate. Like, I just never, how I am. But the Mexican cheese dip that's about 89,000 calories a gram, I will, I could eat it until I throw up. I can't stop. And so I've just learned to not order it to the table. But Aubrey, Courtney, at some point, opened it up. Aubrey, and so Aubrey just sits there and goes, can I have cheese? 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 And so it winds up on the table. And then that's when the battle begins. I just sit and I just stare at it. All right, and I'm eyeing it. And as long as I can get it. But the second I taste it, it's like, woof, and then it's gone. All right, but the only reason that cheese is a temptation is because I already desire it. All right, that's how temptation works. If you weren't tempted by it, it wouldn't be a temptation. If you didn't already want to do it, if it wasn't already inside of you, you wouldn't want to do it. It wouldn't be temptation. That's why there's some sin, there's some things that aren't temptation for people, and there's some things that are uh, very, uh, very tempting to people. There's things that different people struggle with. So it's a desire in us. And this is what James said. He goes, the desire that is inside of us, if, if, if that, that thought, that desire pops up, if it goes unabated, if, if we don't fight against it, if we don't learn how to bring it into the obedience of Christ, if, if we don't learn how to battle it in our minds, over time that desire gets stronger and it gets powerful and it grows and eventually it will grow strong enough, it will give birth to an actionable sin. Right? To desire sin, to be tempted, that's not a sin. But if you have a desire to do something and temptation opens up the opportunity for you to do it, you can, as long as that desire's there, you can not give in one day and not give in the next day. But over time, if you allow that desire to live in your life and to stay there, over time it will get more powerful and more stronger. And eventually you will not be able to not give in to that temptation. And it gives birth to an actionable sin. And we get that. But the next sentence is the one that we misread a lot. The next sentence is the one that gets ignored a lot. It says, when sin is fully grown, it will give birth or bring forth death. And a lot of times what we do is when we read that, what we really read in our minds is the thing that says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Now, the end game is exactly the same, but there's a different concept that shows up in James. It gives you a more practical look at it. It paints this reality that sin can and will grow or fully develop in your life over time and then bring forth or give birth to death. We don't think about the actionable sin. We don't think about like one small little lie and then lying itself, the sin of lying, growing in our life, becoming more dominant in our life. And when the, the sin of lying is fully developed, that it will bring forth certain death. We don't think about sin like that. We don't, we don't think about, we think about sins of being disconnected, but there's a picture here and in other scriptures, it paints the reality that if we allow, in the same way that we allow desire to hang out in our minds for too long, eventually we will give in to that temptation if we don't learn how to battle it in our minds. In the same way, once we give in to that sin and we actually commit that sin, that if we don't learn how to confess it, repent of it, turn from it, that if it, it will become a more consistent part of our life, it will grow, it will develop over time, and eventually it will bring forth death. There's this picture throughout Scripture that, that God has created order. God has created the earth. God has created the world, and there is a way to do everything, from the way the earth was created to the way that the solar system works to the way that different parts of science work to the way that our minds work all the way down to, to the way that marriage is supposed to work and finances are supposed to work and all those little things. There is an order. There is a created order to all of those things. And God's righteousness and God's law and God's ways or the way things are supposed to be done, righteousness, the right way things are supposed to be done, in the order at which God created the world. 
And what sin is, sin is stepping outside of that order and stepping into disorder and doing it the way it was never intended to be done. That's what sin is. A lot of times we have this, this, I call it the evil, wicked concept of sin. Now, sin, all sin is evil and wicked, but a lot of times what we do in our minds, and this is a dangerous game we play, is when we hear the word sin, we start saying things like evil and wickedness, and then we have a little box called real sin, like murder and adultery and all the ones nobody really argues with, and then over here we have the good sin, right? The sins that aren't that bad, the sins that aren't that, then no, nobody really cares. I mean, the politicians don't really do it, and, and, and the leaders don't really do it, and it's just kind of a part, and it's just kind of a way of life, so we have the, we have the evil sin. And this is real sin, but over here is just mistakes. But the reality of it is, and what this scripture and so many other scriptures paint, is that God has created life. He has created you. He's created me. He's created, instituted things like marriage. He, he has everything in an order and a way things are supposed to be. And what sin is, no matter what it is, is when you, you step out of God's perspective or you step out of that order and you commit an action or you, you live in a way that is not in that order, not in that perspective, and you stepped into disorder. And what the scripture says is that there are consequences, both eternal and temporary, both mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical, that when you, you live in God's righteousness and God's right ways, there's blessing, but when you live in God's uh, unrighteousness or you, you don't follow that or you step out of the order into disorder, then there's curses. And I know we get weird about curses, but it's in the Bible. What God says is he goes, when you, when you work within the way I've created things to work, things flow and go well with you. But when you step out, the big ones and the little ones, when you step out of that order and you step into disorder, things aren't going to go well for you. It's that simple. It's that reality. And, and it's not God brings down judgment. He can, but there is a natural consequence to stepping out of God's order and into disorder. It's chaos. And what this says is if you stay out there long enough and you allow certain sins or the sin to fully develop in your life, the consequences temporarily, the practical consequences, the ones that we don't think about, grow stronger and eventually will bring forth death, all sins. Not just murder, but all sins. Not just adultery, but all sins. Anytime you miss the mark, that's what sin means. Anytime you step out of the order and into disorder, anytime you step out of God's righteousness, there is, there is natural consequences that we will pay for this. And today, I'm going to step into this series and I'm going to talk to you about a sin. I'm going to talk to you about the sin that I have committed the most in my life. I want to talk to you about the most perpetual sin that I believe exists in the modern church. I want to talk to you today about the sin that has brought down more pastors, more preachers, and more Christian leaders than I believe any other sin. I want to talk to you about the sin that, that silently kills and wipes out families and connections and relationships. I want to talk to you about a sin that nobody thinks about, but it is crushing us and killing us in so many ways. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, this sin is killing us. It's wiping out a generation. I want to talk to you about this sin this morning. And it surrounds the idea of the Sabbath. Let me tell you what just happened. I built that up, and you got excited. And the same way you're standing in a Walmart line and there's a, there's a tablet on the side and they're like, something major has happened again and it's going to change the world as we know it. And then you open it up and it's just, yeah, they're not dating anymore. 
Because I was building that up, and you were like, yes, I love when pastors confess their sins. This, do you think he committed an adultery? Do you think that's what it is? It's got to you. Do you think he stole something? Do you think that's what it is? I saw him driving that $12,000 Corolla. He st- I'm telling you. All right. The Sabbath. The Sabbath is one that we, nobody ever talks about. For 29 and a half years, I don't even, I don't even consciously remember reading about it. It was never something I confessed. It was never something I prayed about. It was never something I talked about. And I did what a lot of you are tempted to do right now is when it comes up, you're like, oh, this isn't exciting. I'm going to do some work. See what's going on on the old Facebook. This isn't spiritual. This isn't, this isn't deep. I want him to talk about murder or something. This is the Sabbath. One, most we don't know what the Sabbath is. I didn't. But I want you to tell you something about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is in the top 10, the big 10. Right? There's like 600 laws, and, but the, the top 10, they're pretty important. That's why they're called the Ten Commandments. This is where like idolatry is and, and loving God and murder and adultery, all the big ones. The Sabbath is up there in that. The reality of it is, is that into the modern American church, the Sabbath has almost become a non-sin. It's almost become something we don't think about. We ignore it totally. We don't, we don't think about it. I, I did for, for many, 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 many years. But one thing that's interesting that you have to understand about the Sabbath is that of all the laws of God, there was only four that brought the immediate death penalty. One of them was murder, one of them was adultery, and one of them was the Sabbath. And I would tell you the fourth one, except I forgot it. But that one's also important. Not to me, apparently, but it is important. But the Sabbath... The Sabbath is up there, and it brings the death penalty in the Old Testament in the same way that murder and adultery in the other one does. <laughs> Nothing I can do. I can't, I can't act like there's three. There's four. This was incredibly important to God, the Sabbath was. I want to read this to you in Exodus 20. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. He says, listen, this is part of the Ten Commandments. This is what it is. Remember the Sabbath day. It's a day of rest, ultimately. That's what it is. He says, for six days do all your work. Get everything you need to get done. Everything that is accomplished, everything that's achieving something, everything that you work, every day, for six days, you do everything you need to do, do whatever you need to do. There's no time limit on work for six days you work, but on the seventh day, one day a week, you will rest. You will not work. You will not make your animals work. You will not make your servants work. You will not make the family work. You will not make anything work, not even your animal, not, nothing. Do no work, nothing on the seventh day. If you do this, if you break this, death penalty. That's severe to me. I'm just like a little overreaction to me. Work for six days, rest on the seventh. If you break it, you die. It's powerful. It's scary, but it's powerful. But this is the one we ignore the most. I'm going to walk you through really fast because I just want you to understand how important. It might not be important to you, but I want you to understand how important it is to God. There's another part of the Sabbath law. It's called the sabbatical or the Sabbath year. Same concept. Every six years, God wants him to rest the land for seven years. And this agricultural, come on, I know, I just want you, I know all you guys are farmers. I know that, I get that. So just listen to me. 
I know this may sound boring, but I need you to listen to me. I'm telling you this because when I was studying this, I was like, this is kind of boring. But it's powerful. Everything was about agriculture. Everything was about farming. The land was the most valuable resource, and in, in many ways it still is today. And he says, this is what I want you to do. For six years, I want you to, you can work the land. You can, you can till the ground. You can plant the seed. You can take care. You can harvest. For six years, you can do it. But on the seventh year, every piece of land needs to be rested every, at least once every seven years for a whole year. Do nothing to it. It's called the sabbatical year. And they obeyed God in this and, and, and for a long time. And at one point, there was a generation that showed up, and for whatever reason, whether they didn't plan well enough, that they didn't plan well enough for the sabbatical year, or they just got greedy and they just more profit, more food, more produce, more whatever, they just decided that they were going to work through the seventh year anyway and just see what happens. Let's just try it. Six years all around, the seventh is supposed to rest the land. They didn't rest it. They worked through it. Six more years, they did it again. Six more years, they worked through the seventh. Six more years, they did get in. For 490 years, they did this and nothing. And then all of a sudden, God raised up an enemy army, and he brought them over, and he enslaved his people for 70 years. He took them out of the land. And God said, I have done this because for 490 years, you did not rest the land as I commanded you to do. And so now I have to enslave you and remove you from the land so that the land can be allowed to rest for 70 years. If you do the math, that's 490 years that they did not do it. 490 years they didn't respect or honor or obey God in the sabbatical land. And now God was removing them so that he could rest the land. Now, to me, again, I'm just like, that's kind of overreaction. But what they didn't know and what we didn't know until recently through science, we were able to prove something very powerful. And if you did grow up on the other side of 150 and you're connected to a farm, you probably already know this. But I didn't. Did you know that land dies. The nutrients in it, it dies. That as, as you plant something and as it to grow, it takes nutrients out of the ground. And the way that God created the world, the way that God created the system is that what happens is, is that when leaves or weed or whatever it is lands on it, that worms come up and they eat the leaves. Now, I know this is really cool. and I know this is exactly what you're expecting to hear in church today. The, the, the worms eat it and then they I don't know what's, people get very upset with some of the language I use, like the C-R-A-P word. I don't know a better, lesser way to say that. So the, uh, the, give me a word, the excrement. There we go. Teamwork, right? One, in one and out the other way, out. Then beetles come up, you ready for this? And they eat on it. They do the same thing and it creates fungus and it creates all this stuff and then it replenishes the nutrients. That's how God created the world to work. I'm telling you, it, I thought it was kind of weird and cool, but it's cool. The problem is, is that when you come up and that you till the ground, ready for this? All you people that wear suits every day and work in banks, and this helps you in no way, shape, or form, I still need you to listen. When you come up and you till the ground, it destroys all the fungus and all the stuff that creates all the nutrients, and it, it, it kills the worms, and it just updoes the whole thing. And so then when you plant and you harvest, you take from it, nothing else falls back down, so there's nothing for the worms to eat. And so they either die off or they leave and there's nothing for the beetles to eat. So they die off or they leave and then the system breaks down and the nutrients doesn't come back. And over time, the plants that you're going, you're planting, you're harvesting, you're planting, you're harvesting, you're taking all the nutrients out and it becomes less and less and less productive to the point that it will no longer produce. And if you allow this to happen to a certain point, it will never come back. I Just curiosity, show of hands, how many people knew that? Dude, you are smarter than me. I was like, What? I thought that was so cool. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just easily impressed or something. So I just, 
So God's like, listen, I'm not just punishing you for the heck of it. I'm not just saying to you, hey, you know what? You disobeyed me, so I'm going to put you in slavery for you. He said, you're killing the land that I promised you. By dishonoring me and by not obeying this, I've put this in place for you because I have wisdom. I know how the world works. I have knowledge. I have understanding. And I'm trying to help you. But you have ignored me for almost 500 years and you're wiping the earth out. You're, you're destroying the land I gave you. If you keep going, if I don't remove you from the land and allow the land to rest for 70 years, you're going to absolutely destroy the promised land. And then you're going to have nothing. You're going to have no income. You're going to have no food to eat. Then an army's going to show up. And he's eventually going to take you over. And they would have wiped out God's people. That's why it's important. So I believe in the same way that the sabbatical year was meant to, to rest the land so that life could go on. I believe the same exact thing is put in place for our Sabbath day. The ground was not meant, it was not created to be worked on and to work in forever. It was created to rest. Our minds, our brains, our bodies, our emotions, our mental state, our spiritual state, the fullness of who we are, we are not created to operate without full and true and genuine rest and refreshing, period. In the same way that, that, that we couldn't prove the whole land thing until recently, we now know through science, through neuroscience, through so many different things that this is absolutely very, 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 very extremely true. And over the last year, I've done massive amounts of research on this. And I, I could go that direction. I could lay out all this stuff for you and, and prove to you from a scientific standpoint. But I would just encourage you to have faith in God's word. Do the research for yourself. And if you don't know what research means, ask somebody that knows. It's called looking up stuff that you don't know and learning it. Instead of just making massive assumptions with no knowledge and living on that, which Solomon calls foolishness. So do the research. But it's true. It, it, it's become so obvious that something is wrong in our country that big companies like Google, Ikea, all these different places, they're starting. They, 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 they've had this little emergency session since the mid-2000s, about 2005, 2006. They started getting together, and they were like, you know what's going on with our people? They seem stressed, and they like to have a bunch of anxiety, and they're becoming unproductive, and a lot of anger's flaring up, and there's just a lot of all this stuff going on. And, and so what, they got together, and in all of their genius, they got together, and they created something called a mental health day. And they began to write out, and they were like, our people need mental health days. They need to do this. And they began to write it out. And do you know exactly what a mental health day is? The Sabbath. Apart from the God thing. And they're starting to instill this. Some companies are starting to realize when they started to force their employees to go on vacation and to take days off and to rest their minds fully and completely, that they, they started changing the way that they work, their efficiency, all kinds of different stuff started going down. And they actually started saving money, like hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of a few years because they weren't having to deal with the aftermath of what happens when people don't rest. And so then there's a few companies like Evernote. This was so cool, and I'm going to super uh, get us. We're, we don't really vote a lot around here, but I think this would be cool if you guys would do this, that if they're forcing their people to take seven-day vacations twice a year, and if they take a full seven-day vacation seven days in a row to rest, they will pay them an extra $1,000 to do so. There are some companies that are going to unlimited days off because of how powerful they're starting to see this. Now, this is just me, but this is what I call stupidity. God has told us this from day one 
And it took the, the largest and the most sophisticated companies in the world to look at their people struggling and mentally and emotionally and spiritually dying and becoming unproductive to say, hey, you know what, guys? We think in all of our human wisdom that we should probably start taking some time off of work. And it's kind of comical and it's kind of funny, but we do it day in and day out. The reality of it is in that up until the 1970s, see, uh, my gen- I, I didn't know this, and, and I'm sure the younger generation didn't know this. Some of you uh, wiser, uh, gray-headed people, y'all might remember this. But it was like in the 1950s, in the 60s, even in the biggest cities, Sunday was like a ghost town. Life just shut down. All the old people are in this service. You just hear that? You're not unanimous. Yeah, I remember that. Like, there was some of the research I've done says that up until the 1960s, 98% of businesses were absolutely 100% closed on Sundays. So even if you wanted to work, you couldn't. You had to work super hard to work back in the 50s and 60s on Sunday. But then there was something that began to change in the late 60s and in the very early 70s. And then companies started changing this. And blue laws, which is the law that prevented them from doing this, started being disbanded and broken up throughout the different states. And before the 80s, 98% of all businesses were open on Sunday. And if you go through, and I can't prove this correlation, but if you go through from the early 70s to 2011 was the highest spike in mental-related issues in the history of our world. Stress, anxiety, depression, all these things. Anxiety disorder that plagues one out of every four people in my generation didn't, was almost non-existent in the 50s. Now, I, I, know that the, I know that we have some stress today, our young people, but I just feel like no matter how we justify it, it's probably not as stressful as two great wars. But anxiety didn't really exist, not to the way it does today. So many different things are taking place to the point that the, that the CDC, the, they're starting to talk about mental health issues and they're starting to talk about all this stuff. And then ADD, right? I mean, you would think today, and I'm one of them, you would think today we could not function without medicine. But we got along just fine for like 8,000 years. All of a sudden, though, everybody needs medicine to be able to focus. This is a, this is a real thing. I've got it. I understand. Okay, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not judging from the outside. I'm super on the inside of this one. Ask anybody that knew me as a kid. All right, but there are all these things that were almost non-existent that have just... And there's other factors that play in. But I'm telling you, I believe wholeheartedly this is part of the reason. It, 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 I'm telling you, I just believe that. And there's a lot of different directions that I could go. There's a lot of different things that I could talk about, but I, I, I could go down the science route. I, I, could, I could go down this stuff. I, I, could, I could do a lot of stuff to try to convince you of this reality, but I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell you what the Sabbath is on a practical level, and then I'm just going to tell you about my life. All right, the Sabbath is this. It, it's not just not going into work, because it took me a while before I was able to fully obey this, because I'm a worker. That's what I like to do. I like to work. I'm driven. Right, but the Sabbath, isn't, the Sabbath is not just not working. It's not just not going to work. The Sabbath is resting and refreshed, being refreshed. It's doing nothing. In the biblical days, if you looked at what they did on the Sabbath, they did like about three things. They did nothing physical. They didn't walk a certain amount of, of far away from their home, and they ate a bunch all day. Sounds like Thanksgiving to me. So I'm like, cool. All right, schedule Thanksgiving once a week, and we're good to go. The rest of your minds. The other problem with this, and I want you to hear me, the problem with this is technology. Because technology has given us the ability to never turn our minds off. 
Like one in four, now I know some of the older people are catching up on Facebook, but one in four of my generation, it's even higher in the younger generation, one in four minutes of our lives is spent on social media. Not the internet, social media. Plus the internet, plus TV, plus all the other things that we have. Now, I like to make Netflix and chill a big part of my life. I'm going to be honest with you. I know I'll get a lot of judgment for this, but I like the office. When I get home, it's a way to numb my mind because it's nothingness. <laughs> Literally nothingness. All right, so I, I, I get that. But, but, but even in our relaxation, in our resting, we're still watching and consuming and taking in. We wake up in the mornings and we get on our phones. We go to bed at night and we, we're on our phones. All right, and this is, this is plaguing us in a lot of ways. And so I'm going to talk, the Sabbath is totally disconnecting from the world in an honoring to God and to rest and refresh all of our, not just our physical bodies, but our mental state, our spiritual and our emotions. Just completely disconnect and get away and do nothing. Not check emails, not do projects at the house. Because when I first presented this to Courtney, that was what she heard. <laughs> not going to the church. But first, she had a long list of projects that I was behind on. I was like, thanks, babe. I'll get to them this weekend. We had to work through that. All right. It's not that. It's not going out and doing strenuous things. Like one of the days, like I went hiking. I was incredibly tired when I got back. Did not feel rested at all. Also went and played basketball for three hours one day. That's not taking the Sabbath. It's resting. And refreshing. That's what the Sabbath is. It's disconnecting. It's resting. And I'm going to tell you this really fast. There was a conversation that the Pharisees got into with Jesus. And, and it, was a, it was a Sabbath day, and they were hungry, and they didn't have any food, and so they started to pluck something, and they started to eat it on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees came up, and they were like, hey, you just ate on the Sabbath, and your fingers moved, so let's kill everybody. All right? Just like the Pharisees like to do. And Jesus got into this debate with them. And then Jesus ultimately came down to this one point, fighting their religious mentality over the Sabbath and all the extra things that they put on top of it. And Jesus makes this statement, but it's an incredibly powerful statement in Mark 2. He says, then Jesus told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the NLT says it like this. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. This is the thing I want to tell you. The Sabbath was a gift from God to you in the form of a commandment because you are built to need it. That is the order at which he's created. Your physical body, your spiritual body, your, your emotions, your mind, all that is you. You are not built not to rest. It was given to us as a gift. It was created for us on account of man is what the Greek says on account of us for our needs that's why he gave it to us and that's the order that's the way he's created us that's the order which it was and when we step outside of that and we don't fully rest there are crazy consequences that come from that and I just want to share just a little bit about my life and I want to get I'm going to give you two warnings one I'm going to sound like I'm about to sell you some form of pill at the end of this because I'm going to sound like an infomercial and I'm not I promise you the second warning is, I'm going to be honest with you about how damaging this has been to my life, to my body, and even to this house. About a year and a half ago, all right, I, I was getting to a place where there was a lot of change going on. The church was growing. There was a lot of stuff happening. 
Uh, there was a lot of pressure. Um, I was trying to figure out how to be a father. I was trying to figure out how to balance work and in and, and, and the, and the church uh, life and, 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 and the family and just and friendships and all this stuff. Uh, we were growing. We, had, we were discussing building projects and we we're discussing all this other stuff. And it was just getting to a place to where my anxiety, for the first time in my life, I had like anxiety. And, and, I, and in the moment, I don't know that I fully realized it, but especially now that I look back on it, I just was walking around, and I just felt like this all the time. Like, my, I just, it was just, I was almost just like, like I, I could explode. I was tense a lot of the time. Uh, the, I, I didn't have in my mind, like, I, I could not, even just coming home from work and just, like, even, even Aubrey running up to me, it was just, and, and, and then having, like, responsibilities, all of a sudden, the things that, that was just, like, so much joy in my life, all of a sudden became almost like a job because I didn't have the energy to do them. I was running out of the ability to do the things that God called me. I, I, was, I, was, I found myself having to choose to be a good pastor or to be a good father. I was trying to, I was finding myself having to choose like, okay, well, am I going to be able to do this or am I going to be able to do this because I can't do both. And the pressure was building up on me and the anxiety was building up on me and I was tense and I'm telling you, I was getting, I was unproductive. I was having to work so hard just to barely, barely accomplish stuff and I, I, was, I just felt behind all the time. I cannot express the, the pressure that I felt. Like it was just, it was crazy, especially looking back on it. But when you live in that state so much, especially like with my sleep, I was getting where I couldn't sleep hardly at all. And even when I slept, I woke up tired. Woke up tired. I didn't understand my energy level. I mean, I have more energy than the, than the average bear, right? I know that, but my energy levels was falling back. It was just deep. And I was getting to a place where I was starting to pray, God, just give me supernatural energy. God, I just need you to get through the day. God, I just need to be able to do this. God, just give me the strength when I, when I get home. Don't let me use all of myself during the day. Let me get home and be able to give some of myself to my family, to my kids. And, and like, I just started praying all these. I'm like, God, give me energy and give me discipline and blah. And I just going to go all through this stuff. And, and then one day I was, it was a, I think it was a Monday. And I was in here praying about this very thing, and I went back to my office, and one of the elders that I love very, very, very much and loves me very much sent me a sermon video. And when it opened up, it was from a preacher out in Texas, and it opened it up, and it was just, it was on the Sabbath. And as soon as I saw the Sabbath, I almost just clicked away from it because I was like, oh, the Sabbath. And I didn't, and I listened to it, and I watched it. And 10 minutes into it, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And I'm telling you right now, as God is my witness, as clear as I've ever heard the Lord speak, he said, you have disobeyed me and sinned against me and sinned against this house and sinned against your family more with this sin than you have any other sin, and it's destroying you. And I'm telling you, he just began to speak to me and just began to, to, to go through this stuff with me. And, and I, I'm I was just listening to this man preach, and I just was crying my eyes out. Because it all just made sense to me. And, I'm, I'm, and all of a sudden, it just became clear. Like, why, if I'm not going to walk up and shoot somebody in the face, why would I destroy the relationship with my family because I don't know how to take a day off? If I would not commit adultery against my wife, why would I think it's okay not to honor God on the Sabbath? If I understand that lying and I understand that idols and I understand all these things are deep, dark sin and they carry deep consequences, what about my arrogant, foolish mind would think that there would not be equal consequences to the Sabbath, to not honoring God and to not resting? And I have never been more convicted of anything in my entire life. And so from that day forward, I worked very hard to figure out how to take a Sabbath. And the first few did not go well. I was almost more tired at the end of them than I was before. But I worked very hard. I invested a lot of time. I invested finances. 
I had conversations with the staff. I had conversations with my wife. And I instituted. I tried different days, and I just didn't work out. And finally, I found Wednesday. It's the only day that I could really do it in an accurate way. And I got, for the first six weeks that I finally did this, I went away and I, I got to a place to where I was not around anybody. I put my phone up and I just sat and I just, just, just rested, fully rested, disconnected from everything and everybody and relaxed and rested and refreshed. And within a few weeks, I missed the part where I'm like an infomercial. My entire life changed in a way that I could never in words fully explain to you. I just couldn't do it. I'm telling you right now, it was like I had energy. I was more productive. I had more clarity. The Word of God made more sense to me than I ever had. I was doing more but accomplishing more. I didn't have any pressure. Anxiety all but disappeared. I was refreshed. I was rested. I was doing projects around the house. I was doing all kinds of stuff. Courtney thought I got possessed. I can't tell you how many different people walked up to me and was like, what's happening? What are you doing? What's going on? Why are you doing all this stuff? How are you? Blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you, like it was just, I couldn't, I was just thinking clear. I was just, I'm telling you, there's a supernatural part to this thing. It just is. I can't explain it to you, but there's just a supernatural thing. When you step into God's order, there is, there is the order and the blessing that comes from obeying God. But I'm telling you, there is a supernatural thing to this too. Because what you're doing is you're stepping away from culture and you're stepping away from society. And you are saying to God, I trust you and I believe in you. And I understand that you created me and your ways and your thoughts are higher than mine. And so I'm going to work hard to honor you this in six days. On every once a week, I'm going to rest. I'm going to refresh. I'm going to disconnect from social media. I'm going to disconnect from this. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do house projects. I am just going to refresh. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm never going to get anything done. I'm going to lose. I don't have enough time as it is. I have done more, accomplished more. I've become more powerful, more effective, more energy. I've been a better husband. I've been a better father. I've been a better pastor. I've been a better preacher. I've been a better everything because I'm honoring God in this. And I'm telling you right now, you've got one or two things. I'm a little behind, but I'm going to tell you this. I need you to understand me. I need you to hear me. You have a big option right now. You do not understand the way that which this is killing you. There's a reason why God opened it up and put a death penalty connected to the Sabbath. In the same way he knew that not honoring the land and the land rest would kill the land, not resting and not disconnecting and giving this, it's killing you. You don't understand. You don't even know what good is. You don't know what rest feels like. You don't know what having energy feels like. You don't understand the way this is causing problems in your marriage. You don't understand the tenseness and the anger and the way that it comes up and the way that it feeds you. You don't understand how this is damaging your relationships. You don't understand how this is holding you back. You will never be able to understand or live out your full potential if you do not honor God in this way. And I will go to my grave saying that. You don't know what you were created to do. You don't know what you were created to think of. You don't know because it's literally killing you. I believe that. I believe that it's killing us slowly. I believe that. And you'll have a million reasons in that baseline concept, that perspective, and that argument, that stronghold in your life. You'll have a million reasons why it doesn't apply to you. You'll have a million reasons why he's wrong. You'll have a million reasons why it doesn't make sense. You will come up with a million justifications. But I'm telling you, to the few of you that will humble your life in this area and allow the Holy Spirit to destroy that stronghold in your life, and you will allow your perspective to be destroyed, and be replaced with God's perspective, your life will change in a way that I could not put into words. I promise you. I promise you. And so I'm going to pray. And I want you to just consider this and think about this. And then we're going to watch a video, a powerful video of a man giving his life to Christ. But as you leave here today, don't allow this to fade off. Understand, God put this in the top ten for a reason. 
connected the death penalty for a reason, enslaved his people because they broke it for a reason, because he created it and gave it to you because you were created to rest.